0: Number 10 for Brendan Taylor. It's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada. We're talking about how good he is, and there it is. It's 39th one day International hundred. The king gets his crown at the Atlanta Go on, take
1: Midwigan.
0: Glenn Maxwell celebrates. celebrate He cannot believe it in the middle of the ground.
1: Welcome to the D-Net Stumps Podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis.
0: Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stump's podcast. I'm Dean Duplessis and it uh, certainly is great to have you along as always. On today's podcast, we're going to be doing something a little different. We are just going to pretty much be having a very open-ended cricket discussion. So no big, uh, massive revelations or anything of that nature and it gives me a great pleasure to welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast two ladies, both of which are both in, based in South Africa, the one who's based in Cape Town and who does some incredibly good work in terms of very accurate and, and at times uh, aggressive tweeting, not aggressive in what she tweets, but the amount of very good tweets that she delivers. Fatima Ahmed, how are you doing Fatima? You've been on, you've been on the, on the show before, so you're no stranger to the podcast. Are you good?
2: I am very well, thank you. I'm very happy to be back. Always a pleasure to be back on your podcast.
0: And of course, uh, the podcast or the, the page that Fatima has is also called The Pop Increase, which is her name that she goes by on Twitter. And then if you you do listen to a lot of uh, cricket commentary on both uh, TV and radio, this next voice will be very, very familiar to you. Somebody who I've worked with uh, on a couple of occasions really throughout the years, Natalie Giammanis. How are you doing, that?
1: I'm great, thanks, Dean. Wonderful to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, no, no. It's all in a day's work. Thank you, two lovely ladies, for being a part of it. So, Nat, um, so let's, let's start with you. You've been incredibly fortunate over the last couple of years to attend some very special um, tournaments. You went to the Ladies' World Cup. You've been to a couple of ICC Ladies' events. Um i would imagine that uh, the the 2017 one in the uk is that would that be the one i suppose that that really uh you know is that the one that stands out the most for you is that the one that you remember with most fondness
1: Difficult um, to distinguish between 2017, the 50 over World Cup, and the T20 World Cup this year in Australia because of Melbourne, the MCG final, having 86,174 people there, filling out the MCG, almost hitting the world record for a women's event. Um, it's pretty difficult to distinguish between the two. 2017 World Cup was special for so many reasons as well because obviously having the final at Lords, also having the stadium full People were queuing outside to get in, and we had a fantastic final, too. It was very, very close, came right down to the end, and eventually England were able to take it. Um, so it's it's pretty difficult to distinguish between the two. I was lucky to be at the Men's World Cup last year as well, which was a great event in, in, for so many reasons. That final obviously stands out as a, a superb, superb day. Um, I was lucky to be sitting in one of the boxes and relaxing and enjoying the final <laughs> and taking in the entire atmosphere. Um, so it's, it's pretty it's pretty difficult to distinguish between them. I think they all have something that stands out in my mind. That's, that's really special.
0: Yeah, uh, I can understand that. And, and you Fatima, what is the, is there any certain event that you would have been to any certain cricket match, not necessarily doing any work, you know, but just being at, at a venue where there was a certain atmosphere that you would never, ever forget.
2: Oh, it's it be Newlands. I can't, you can't beat Newlands. Yeah. I mean, I was fortunate enough in 2018 when um, South Africa, Australia toured South Africa. Um, you know that that Cape Town test, but we won't speak about that. But I was that was when I first met Cass Naidu. As that was the first six of the best. That was the most amazing experience for me to meet her, to be in the in the in the CSA suite and that view. Oh my goodness! I will never forget that. That was such an incredible experience. But just being in the crowds at Newlands in a day-night game, that experience, that vibe, that atmosphere, it, there is nothing that compares to that in the world, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think my uh, one thing that I was always so bizarre about, and I know that I've mentioned this before, but uh, for the sake of the listener listening for the first time, my first trip to Newlands. Now, I did my schooling in, in South Africa in, in a town called Worcester, which is situated just outside Outside of Cape Town, so I was—I'd always be of the opinion that if I was lucky enough to go to Newlands, it would be to either watch a what was then known as Western Province game. So the likes of, for example, Adrian Caper, Merrick Pringle, Dave Rundle, Brian McMillan, Craig Matthews, Richie Ryle, Gary Kirsten—all of those 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 players uh, were around when I was there. Um, or maybe even lucky enough to watch South Africa in action at Newlands. Little did I know that my first trip to the Cricket Newlands ground would be in 2007 in a T20 World Cup game to watch Zimbabwe playing Australia, not only play them, but beat them. So I think uh, there's a very special memory for me uh, in terms of, of Newlands as well, it's, as you say, and there's a certain smell about Newlands as well. I don't know if it's the wind that blows from the brewery or what that smell is, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, certainly something very special. So, so Natalie, I mean, it's a question that you've been asked a couple of occasions, so I'm going to try and phrase it a bit differently. When did you realize that You would like to, despite the fact that, obviously, you haven't played the game at the top level, when did you realize that you would like to try and pursue this and and do a bit more and be a bit more than just a cricket lover, you know, try and get involved with, with the media?
1: Um, I think it's um, something that has been sitting with me probably since I was about I started entertaining ideas of it when I was probably about 14 15 around there I was playing cricket um, at school Um, we were lucky to have uh, the start of women's cricket within our school which there weren't many schools within South Africa that had a women's cricket program and luckily our school did my brothers played we had a net in the backyard Um, my dad played we were really spoiled to be quite honest. were really spoiled because we had facilities we had we had the opportunity to play we had obviously games in the backyard um and then I went on to play at some school level and a bit of club and those sort of things and I think when I was about 15 16 I knew that there probably wasn't going to be a professional career in playing the game at the time because yeah. women's cricket wasn't professional at all um it's only just recently that they've had contracts so I decided early what well, what well, how else can I get involved what is the other way that I could maybe build a career and I Started to obviously the more I got into cricket, the more I watched cricket, the more I listened to cricket on the radio, and I thought, oh, this 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 is amazing! I love listening to how these people describe the game, how they talk about it, the passion of it, how they bring the viewer in. Um, there's some commentators obviously that stick out, but. It's just that, that amazing sort of feeling of being really part of the game and being this really important connection between the the fans and the players and the game itself. And I I, I it started that sort of love of the idea of commentary grew and grew and grew till eventually I took a trip to the Wanderers with them. Um, Uh, course that I was studying and um, my fitness trainer was the fitness trainer at Houten Cricket, he's still there and he took us on a tour of the Wanderers and we went onto the field we went into the dressing rooms, we went everywhere, it was an incredible day but the the moment that sticks out the most is when they took us up to the commentary boxes Mm. and they allowed us to just sort of sit there and have a look and, and just see, you know, they told us this is where the press sits, this is where the commentators sit and I just couldn't help but link and I, I sort of stayed there in that space and started imagining a game in front of me and started seeing this 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 thing unfold. And I just felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is this is the dream. This is where I would like to be um, later on in life. So it's, it's kind of just sort of eventually unraveled from there. But um, it's, it's sort of that's I think the, the moment that sticks out probably the most in terms of deciding this is really what I want to do.
0: And and who were the players that would have been very active in those days at provincial cricket and and for the pro tiers.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, from a men's cricket point of view, yeah, um, yeah. the likes of uh, John T. Rhodes, Jacques Callis was my favourite as a kid. That was that was uh, the one player I looked up to. I've got a bat that's signed by him. It's a laser bat. I don't know if you remember those. Very well. They so, so long ago. I, I, I've got the bat. I've still got it. It's signed by him. Um, he was he was definitely one of my favourites that, that stood out for me. But even from, from a women's point of view, Kerry Lang was my coach at school. And she played at um, she played national level. She went to um, a World Cup, so she was somebody else that I also sort of I looked up to too. That was um, quite instrumental in growing my love for the game even more. And recently, I had the chance to work as a, as a, on commentary with her too. So oh, it was like wow. sort of a little full circle moment, which was um, a really really special day for me actually.
0: The name Lang is is pretty pretty synonymous in that part of the mm-hmm. world, that Johannesburg area was. You remember there was that fine all rounder who played for what was then Transvaal Dean Lang. Which she mm. have been related to him, or was it just the same surname?
1: Uh, as far as I know, they're brother and sister. Oh. Actually, oh. as far as I know, but I could I could be wrong on that. but I, I do apologise if, <laughs> if, if I get it wrong, but do, as far as I know, they are. Kerry Lang was um, also the manager of the Protea women's side for for quite a long time, so she was quite involved in the game for quite a long time
0: okay and what about you fatima so you yourself have a also have a very interesting story in in terms of where you grew up and how you were introduced to the game so how, how did it all come together for you and when did you realize that or what made you realize even that hey this is what i would actually like to do you know even for a living if at all possible
2: well um, growing up in london um I mean cricket is fairly big in the UK not as big as football per se but it's 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 fairly popular
1: Yeah,
2: it's very very popular in my house growing up my my dad and my brother and my sister at times as well also watching it and my siblings and I we had many a game in the back garden trying to my sister and I trying to bowl our brother out and not succeeding most times <laughs> and uh, it, it's just it, it was just always part of my life I mean that's how I met my husband it's it's just a massive, massive part of my life. And it was uh, about four years ago that uh, husband and I were speaking. And, um, you know, I've said this story before, but he he said it would, it would be something different for you as a British girl to talk cricket. And, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to say what I think. I'm not afraid to go against mainstream media and think if... You know, what's being said about something I don't agree with, I'm not afraid to say I don't agree with that. This is why I don't agree with it. And I I make sure, like when I started the pop increase, I had to make certain, 100% certain, every single thing I posted was 100% accurate. Because the second people find out I'm a girl, they're going to think, oh, you don't know anything about the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um I'm just wondering whether either of you have suffered a little bit of, I suppose, what would you call it, victimization. I remember, for example, Natalie, there was, oh, about three years ago, um, you know, normally you're very cool, calm, and collective. And, I mean, we all get criticized. I tell you what, I've had my fair share, and it's part of the job, you know, it's just the way that it is. But I do recall that uh, about three years ago there was a very distressful tweet that you sent out, you know, just, just saying why, why would somebody want to try and trample on another person's career? So has there been a time, and, and both of you can answer this question, where you have actually felt, I'm not entirely sure if I, should, if I should be doing this because no matter how I try or which way I turn, there are people, as much as I accept that, that this criticism is part of the job, but, you know, there are people who are just being unreasonably cruel to me at this moment in time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that's that's still a moment in a way that kind of sticks out for me a little bit because it sort of fuels – even more my commitment to 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 my career. It's not the only reason, obviously, but mm. it does, you look back on moments like that and you think, all right, what did I get out of it? What is the positive that I can take from it? And I've had many moments where I've been criticized, sometimes rightly and sometimes where it's just an empty criticism, you know, the keyboard warriors, those type of things. Yeah. But when it comes from someone you know, or when it comes from somebody that's in your space, or even when it comes from another female, which happens it happens a lot actually um, it, it it really does sort of have an impact on you and that, that had a major impact because that was also my first ICC tournament, that was the 2017 World Cup yes, um, um, I was over in England obviously having this incredible time working with an amazing team with the BBC and the ICC TV team and learning so much from these other incredible commentators and unfortunately we, we kind of remember the bad things more than the good yeah, things yes. Sometimes we do. <laughs> they seem to sort of really pierce home. Um, I, I, I think it's, it is part of the job. You're completely right, Dean. Criticism happens all the time. Players get it, commentators get it, administrators get it everybody gets it um it is part of it it's just it's sort of how you deal with it you learn more and more as you go along how to deal with it and you learn your own way i'm sure fatima you would have your own way of dealing with it some people might want to punch a a a, a bag or something like that or throw something against the wall and it lets their frustration out or you just allow your to just breathe, relax and try and think of it without emotion but Fatima I'm sure you have your own way of sort of dealing with anything that criticism that comes your way
2: Oh 100% and that's what my husband's for (laughs) I, (laughs) I get annoyed or I get frustrated, I get demotivated I have a quick little venting session with him and he motivates me, he keeps me on the right track, he reminds me why I'm doing this and he tells me that you can't just give up what you've spent so long working at and he just keeps me on that right track, and if I, if I need to just vent, I, I no, I can always go to him.
0: Yeah, it's, it's nice when you do have that, that, I suppose, go-to person, isn't it? It doesn't really matter if it's a, a spouse, a brother, a sister, or just somebody who you know that, that you can do that. I mean, I, I, I too have – I remember working with uh, a very well-known former South African captain in the commentary box, and I'm sure you'll know immediately who it is that I'm talking about. Gosh, I tell you what, by the end of that, I felt like a worn-out rag. You know when you just sometimes you pick up a, a cloth and you just continuously wring the water out of it over and over and over again. And that, that's kind of how I felt afterwards because not one thing I said he agreed with, even if it was right. He just did not like the fact of this non-cricket playing. Um, and I don't know if if the fact that I can't see had anything to do with it. I sincerely hope not. But, you know, obviously you can't exclude all of the equations. Anyway, it was just very difficult for him to understand that, um, everybody else were, were former test players, even if they only played a handful of test matches. And then he had to deal with this completely non-playing cricketer who can't see a damn thing. So, it, or, I mean, a non-playing cricket player who, who you know, who, actually, who, who can't see. So it was very, um, stressful. But, um, I think what I learned out of that, ladies is that you you do certainly do become a bit stronger and 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 at times it's not a bad idea to not bottle it up so you know sometimes we say ah well it's water for ducks back thick skin sometimes it's not a bad idea to find that that way of venting your frustrations because i think um and and that's maybe you'll know from being on radio and tv sometimes your emotions inadvertently can come can can um end up in the commentary box and people who are a uh, receptive can actually hear it in your voice can't they
1: well absolutely i mean if you think about when you speak if you speak with a smile yeah. people can actually hear that so the the opposite is then true as well where if you are frustrated if you are annoyed if you are feeling down you will It will come out in your commentary, and it will come out in your way of dealing with your co-commentators as well, um, which which is a very important relationship to have on air, that you don't want to have that sort of friction between the two of you. You don't want to have a situation where um, you are maybe not into the game as much as you can be, because I find when I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm down, my sort of... I don't know if you want to call it the cricket brain doesn't work as well. Yes, 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 really I have that sort of as well. Tune into what's actually
0: happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have exactly that same problem. And and for example, for me, stats that I normally would just remember and roll off the top mm. of my tongue, I completely get them. I don't even remember them at all anymore. You know, because of the fact that there's this guy next to you who's just intimidating you all the time and, and making it very clear that he doesn't want to be with you or even have you in the same commentary box but uh, i mean so all right so that's all the, the i mean do you do you feel that that non cricketers have the same value as somebody who has played the game because i often find that just because a cricketer who's taken 300 test wickets or scored 10000 test runs doesn't necessarily have that much to Offer in the commentary box. I'm sure he or she has a lot to offer, you know, because of their experience and and so on, maybe working with kids or whatever the case may be. But get them in the commentary box. And they really aren't particularly good because they are not really able to articulate themselves. Not everybody has that talent and that knack. So, but do you think that we are still, we still have that stigma? So for us non cricket, uh, non cricketers, non playing cricketers, do you think we still sometimes just get given crumbs from the king's table? Or are you of the opinion that that's beginning to change, Nat?
1: Um, I think it is. Beginning to change. It was different before. If you look years back, there was a lot more non or players that didn't play international level that were actually commentating, and then it kind of faded away. Um, Harsha Bogli obviously is one of the major ones that is very well known around the world. He's working on the IPL, um, and and he's had a very successful career. But I feel like it's kind of changing a little bit now again. But it it, it you can equate it to a lot of different things. Like for example, even men's coaches coaching a female sport. Nobody says anything. Nobody criticizes. But a female coaching a man's team, all of a sudden people start saying, what does she know about yeah, sport? Absolutely. How can she yeah. be coaching uh, a men's team? It's a learnt um, condition, if you want to call that. We've been told that commentators need to be ex-players. But If you have others that come through the system that aren't ex-players but do the job well, add value, then it it cannot be right that you can only be, you have to be an ex-player to be a commentator. Not many people seem to say or criticize journalists who haven't been players before. There's a lot of journalists that didn't play international cricket or even provincial cricket, and they are excellent writers. They are brilliant at what they do, and nobody really criticizes them for not having played the game. That's Um, a very good point. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's it's important that we 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 look beyond what is the social, if you want to call it the the so called norms, because this is what we've been taught, we've been told that this is right. In actual fact, you've got to look beyond that and say, is it actually right? And I, for one, will say that there are some ex-players who are fantastic commentators, and there are others that that job is probably just not for them. They may have been brilliant players, but I don't see them doing well as commentators. And again, I suppose it's a personal opinion, but I have no problem with the idea of having a mix of non-ex-players and um, having the ex-players together.
0: Yeah, what do you think about that, Fatima? How, how, I
1: I agree with everything Natalie just said.
2: Absolutely agree with it. Um, I don't see there's. I mean, I like to think I know my fair share of cricket. I've never played it any sort of professional level, but I've watched it since I was twelve years old. I've listened to so many different commentators about so many different series and so many different tournaments. I know when something isn't right i know what plan should be taken because i learned the game i know how it works so i don't think i should be penalized because i've never played it and i'm trying to i'm hoping one day maybe that can come true that i can one day commentate but that's maybe a bridge too far at the moment
0: you have a very beautiful voice, I have to tell you. You know, so, uh, I don't think sliding into the commentary box will be a problem for you at all. Uh, you... well,
2: thank you very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, so that's when did you make your debut? I, the first time I remember hearing you on, on radio must have been about 2006. Um, I don't know if that was actually when Zimbabwe had one of those money tours, you know, a couple of ODIs and, and, and so on in 2006, that was, a, I, I remembered the game Porch of Strum. Do you remember when Mark Barcher broke that record and plundered so many sixes and, you know, Zimbabwe just didn't even try and chase it down. It was a very disappointing game from that, that aspect. That is the first time I actually heard you in action. But when did, do you remember the, when you made your debut and who was playing?
1: Yeah, I remember that game very fondly. That was, uh, as you say, against Zimbabwe. That was the second time South Africa scored 400. They yes. made 416, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, as you said, Mark Voucher made runs. I remember it also because it was freezing. We were outside in Potchester and This game was carrying on. Zimbabwe were intent on batting out their 50 overs. And we were freezing cold. It was <laughs> so cold during that game. But that was actually my first... Um, proper tour around the country with SABC and Radio 2000. So that was a very fond um, memory for me and very fond tour for me, being being able to get the chance to go to different grounds and work on the different grounds. Um, My very first commentary stint was in 2005 with the Women's World Cup. And that, that ah. was the semi-final that took place in Potcherstrom. And um, it was – I got the chance to work with Neil Mantel first. That was my very first radio commentary stint. He made it so easy for me. I was only on for about 10 minutes, I think, with him because they wanted to sort of ease me in. But he made it so easy. He made it just like having a conversation with someone about the game in front of you. And it, it was – I couldn't have asked for a better person to have done my first commentary stint on radio. I actually did my first TV commentary stint with him too. So um, he, he made like that, that, that sort of start for me um, a lot, lot easier. And I'm sure, Fatima, you would know what it's like in terms of having that person you look up to. And when they, they help you out and, and they're there for you, the difference that it makes in your career oh, absolutely. is, is
2: absolutely, Absolutely. It's, it's such a a wonderful feeling to know you've got this person in your corner
0: it's 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 a wonderful I mean I I, absolutely so like Fatima has often spoken about Cass Naidu, and and she's mentioned you as well Natalie on on a lot of occasions and believe it or not Neil Manthorpe had a very big part to play in my uh, Mm. career I suppose because uh, him and I met each other in 2001 for the first time and and he was the one who actually said you must come into the commentary box let's do this and you know, the the bosses who they were... So we, we were doing radio commentary, but on the internet for Crick Info. So it's a very common thing now. You can live stream and so on. But back in 2001, it wasn't really heard of, obviously. Um, and it, it was just a situation where... Neil invited me in, and um, he actually tells a story much better than I do, because I I was a bit nervous, I have to tell you, and uh, he remembers me correcting him um, when Ajit Agarka and Saurav Ganguly were bowling, and I I was able to tell him that, that Ganguly was bowling when it wasn't Agarka, but I cannot tell it as nearly as good as he does, because like I said... Uh, extremely nervous his bosses back in the uk made it very clear that this is not a particularly good idea because you've got a guy who can't see a thing <laughs> 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 he's going to be analyzing and telling you the game but yeah i mean and it all started coming together very nicely so my my stint uh, on radio started in 2001 and then and then i got my tv gig two years later in in, in 2003 alongside mike Haseman. Who was also very vociferous and uh, convinced the director that we should do it did you natalie did you find it was difficult to adapt from radio to television and and which one do you prefer doing radio or television
1: um, it was difficult to adapt because I'd been on radio for quite a while before I did my first TV stint. Uh, my first TV stint, I think, it came in two thousand. Oh, I'm gonna lie, eight or two thousand nine. It wasn't it was long. Eight. I didn't do too many yeah. uh, in that series. I just did a few, um, and uh, which I suppose, in a way, was a good thing because then you go away and you kind of uh, take stock of what you've done and then come back. But the next time I did TV was t- 2013, so it was quite a long time oh, yeah. before. I had the opportunity to do TV commentary and TV presenting, and it is very different. Um, I think because at SABC we, we they keep us obviously very busy. We've got a lot of work to do in a day's cricket. Um, we on radio to TV. We've got the presenting in the in the beginning, the the middle. We follow the innings breaks, the, the lunchtime, tea time afterwards. You are so busy through the day, you almost don't even realise sometimes how or how the work went or how difficult it was to transition from one to the next. But What was important for me is to have somebody to give feedback and say, okay, you're on TV now, be careful not to do radio things. And you're on radio now, nobody can see what you're saying, so make sure you describe it, those kind of things. So having that feedback, it it was really important and it made a big difference to being able to make that transition between the two. I still now today have a little note with me to say TV on the one side, (laughs) radio on the other side. And when I go to TV, I have that in front of me saying TV. So I remember... (laughs) TV there's my keyword, There's There's my. There's, that's a sort of a cue for me, you're on TV now, get in TV mode, or radio, you're on radio get in radio mode um, I get asked a lot which one I prefer uh, I, I find it very difficult to decide actually, a radio is lovely for lots of reasons, you get the chance to tell stories, you get a little bit more time to talk the game um, you can sort of flower it up and have a bit of fun with it, there's probably maybe more time for sort of jokes and those kind of things, um, but TV, you can really explain the game because obviously on radio people can't see what you're talking about. So on TV you can say, well, this is how... Um, he or she is holding the ball or he or she is batting in, the, in this way because of this and you can actually show people so you're really able to to educate people about the game which I love that side of it as well I love bringing in new people to the game and having people you know, sort of grow their passion for the game as well so it's kind of difficult to choose between the two actually
0: <laughs> Which one do you prefer watching or listening to Fatima? Do you? I mean I would imagine you've uh, overseas especially listened to a lot of radio commentary on BBC, TMS, all the old favourites there and even here in South Africa. But are you a watcher, uh, one of those who maybe watches the TV but then turns the sound down, or are you, do you just prefer television you know, as opposed to I, radio? Uh, I,
2: I've, I've watched much more television commentary than I have radio, but um, I'll be honest, there are a few commentators in the world that I do mute the TV. I'd rather just watch the cricket and not have to hear them.
0: Yeah. Yes. But
2: that's few and far between.
0: <laughs> I think there are a few around the world who we would concur with you on that uh, in its entirety. So now when we started doing this work and started falling in love with this this game, who at times can be one of the most cruelest lovers in the world because uh, he or she has broken our hearts, but then also put such big smiles on our faces again as well as this game, cricket. Um, I'd like you to to tell me, Fatima, the the one test match that really and truly stands out. One of those that you can almost remember it ball by ball or at least session by session. Which one would that be?
2: It's got to be um, South Africa's tour to England in 2008 when they won the second and third tests. I mean, that third test when Graham Smith batted in that fourth innings and scored that incredible century, 154 not out. And it became... South Africa's first series win in England since the 1960s. I mean, it does not get better than that. To beat England in their backyard, it was an unbelievable win, and that's something I will remember forever, seeing him hit that, sh- hit that winning shot. I think he hit the winning shot. And just seeing that jubilation with the South African dressing room and everything, I will, I will remember that forever.
0: So you obviously sound like you are a South African supporter through and through, despite the fact that you grew up in England. Is that correct?
2: 100 percent i am pro tf fire all the way
0: <laughs> what about now natalie you you've had so much to cover from a, a ladies perspective from a men's perspective tell me about the well i mean i suppose you wouldn't have covered too much ladies um you know test matches i, I but but tell me about some of the some of those those moments at standout that you can almost remember it over by over session by session
1: Are we talking Test matches only? Well,
0: let's talk Test match for now, yeah, because Test cricket is the best cricket.
1: (laughs) Well, okay, that's a discussion for another day. We'll we'll, 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 we'll brush over that. And and the the only the only reason I'm going to say that is because women don't get a chance to play as many Test matches, so that's why I'm very careful of saying that about Test matches. But I do understand where you're coming from. Um, I have done one women's Test match. Um, That was for BBC um, last year with Australia and England, of course. Because that's the only test matches that get played at the moment, um, and that was an interesting experience in itself. Actually, I really enjoyed it. It's a different game to the men's for so many reasons. It's four-day cricket. It's not over five days. Um, women go through their overs and their sessions a lot faster than the men do. Yes. They don't mess around. There's no time wasting. They make sure they get through their over rate. The over rate is phenomenal. The over is more up around between fifteen and seventeen. It's nothing like the men, wow. um, which actually, yeah, absolutely, it's great because you get through the game and you get through so many more overs in a session. Um, So that was a a really good experience, and I hope to do more uh, women's test matches because they are fascinating to watch. Um, From a men's test match point of view, there's quite a few that certainly stick out. There's quite a few from Newlands that stick out, I think, (laughs) because of the likes of Vernon Philander, and they're having Australia 21 for nine at one stage, And that's a test match that definitely sticks out that I can remember quite a lot from because of obviously how it unfolded. I remember even the stories from from, from um, the background scenes, if you want to call it that, where Gary Kirsten was coach at the time and his wife was about to give birth and he left during South Africa's first innings. He came back... And South Africa were already in their second innings, but he thought that it was still in their first because it wasn't that much time in between. He couldn't believe that we're already into the final innings of the Test match, and South Africa obviously eventually won it so easily, um, especially after an incredible first innings by Australia and Michael Clarke. So that's a Test match that that certainly sticks out. There's quite a few from Newlands. We've had some wonderful Test matches there. The atmosphere at the Wanderers when it's full, that's incredible, especially when England are around or Australia Mm. are around. India, when South Africa nearly chased that 4 458 against India um, a few years back as well. They nearly had, uh, had the record chase. That sticks out as well. I can remember that last day in particular very, very well. Uh, Fafdubussi and Abidubulli is batting so well together, the run out. All those things, it, 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 it definitely, those things uh, sort of stick in my mind, those type of test matches, especially the ones that go down to the wire, that go down right to the end. Those are exciting games to watch for lots of reasons. Even draws can be exciting.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, that 2011 test match, that one at Newlands that you spoke of, Vernon Philander who bowled, so, I mean, that had everything. We had a, a superb spell of bowling by Vernon Philander who just utilized his home conditions to perfection. You had Michael Clark's brilliance. In Australia's first innings, and then you had the, the way that Graham Smith and was it Hashim Amla just chased down that total and just made it look so ridiculously easy when nobody knew whether they'd be able to chase down. I mean, it wasn't an, an overly biggish total, was it? It was one of those tricky totals, but they just the way that they went about it, they made it look so, so easy, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did make it look very easy because considering we had so many wickets fall on one day, that to, to, be, to be able to win by eight or nine wickets in the end, that's, that's phenomenal. That is absolutely incredible. South Africa, 96 all out after that innings from Australia, in particular Michael Clark. And you you end up with a situation where South Africa still win the Test match and win it easily. Yeah. It was it it was and it's not the first time we've had bizarre days like that at Newlands. It's not the last time either. We've had um, even New Zealand were all out for yes, yes. for forty odd in in, in, in in innings there at New Zealand too. Which y- you kind of think like what goes on at Newlands because most people when they look at that pitch they start <laughs> thinking oh, this is probably going to be a good good pitch for batting up front. Maybe some sun. It'll dry out towards the end we should get five days but then you get days like that where everybody collapses it's a it's a, it's a wonderful ground to and we've had certainly a lot of theater uh, at Newlands but that that 2011 test match uh, that was just something amazing and wonderful to watch Vernon Philander, who's right at the start of his international career as well
0: yeah absolutely I was
2: so annoyed I was sitting at work during that innings I couldn't I could I couldn't wait to get home and just start watching this game I couldn't I was so annoyed <laughs> You just have to listen on the radio,
0: Fatima.
2: We're <laughs> on the radio. You can get us on the radio. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was busy uh, streaming on Quick Info. was the
0: best I could do at the time. <laughs> oh dear me. Well, but that that was good, and I mean, I, I would imagine also the uh, that incredible performance by JP Duminy and Dale Steyn in 2008 at the MCG. Oh my
1: goodness! Was that yeah. not just
0: wasn't that just special as well?
1: Yeah, I was um, working on that game um, from South Africa, so it was remotely. Um, I was doing some updates on SAFM and being, obviously, I was awake really early, right through the night and watching the entire game. We had it, a Radio 2000 team there. Uh, Neil Mantop was there, Nuleki and Salbo was there, Asim Kota, they were all there so they got to experience it at the MCG so I can only imagine what that must have been like. Um, Dale Stane was phenomenal, JP Germany obviously that was in his second test match he had made a half century in in his first test match but in his second test match to score 160 and to help South Africa home when they were in terrible trouble, batting with the tail batting with Paul Harris, Mornay Morkel Dale Stane, Makai Antini right at the end and to still get South Africa into a winning position. I mean again that's, that's sort of I suppose what you could say what dreams are made of. I know it's a bit of a cliche, yeah. but it really is what dreams are made yeah. of. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I couldn't agree. I, I could.
1: I couldn't.
2: I couldn't. Sorry, Dean. I couldn't um, believe when I woke up early that morning. I looked at the score and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Dale stay nearing a fifty, and Dumini was. I can't remember what he was. I think he had reached his hundred at that point. But I was. I was so itching to wake my husband up at the time. like, baby, look at this. <laughs> I, I was like. I had to try and not cheer so loudly or clap too loudly when, when Steyn got his 50, but those shots, he was a proper batsman that day. He,
0: he was. Uh, when, another thing that also just amazed me about that Test match is the way that South Africa just got it together as well in Australia's second inning. So suddenly Dale Steyn you know, was, was getting the ball to swing at lively, very quick pace. Makai was getting the ball to move across the left handers very nicely. Um, catchers were being taken. That, it was an incredible test series that actually, of course, we all remember then in Sydney, the, uh, heroic performance by Graham Smith coming out to bat with a broken hand and Makai saying, do you want me to take the strike or are you going to take the? There were just so many incredible things in that particular series that happened. I guess, Natalie, one of the things that, that would disappoint all of us, and, and you too, Fatima, I know that, is that J.P. Dumini, and I mean, I've interviewed him about this, and, and he said, you know, it, obviously it's massively disappointing. We all hoped for considerably bigger, and dare I say better, and I say this with a lot of respect, better things from, from J.P. as a test batsman. Uh, it was just so sad that he wasn't really able to capitalize On, on that by, you know, averaging, having an average of maybe somewhere in the late 30s, mid 40s, something of that nature.
1: Yeah, I think in a way it's it's sort of a, a mystery of the game because one, obviously he had this phenomenal start which if I'm, if I'm not mistaken I think he, he might have even said afterwards well I've got a lot to live up to now, which he did of course because the expectations on him after that test series was massive and that was also the time where Ashwell Prince was injured and had been in the form of his life at the time he had scored over a thousand runs in that test year in 2008 and then to lose Ashwell Prince before that series was a massive blow for South Africa, but J.P. Germany stepped in and did this incredible job. Then it was a case of, well, Ashwell Prince comes back from injury, where do we put Ashley yeah. Prince? He has to come straight back into the side. That's the that's the side's policy. You're injured, you come back, you come straight back into the side. And he eventually did as an opener against Australia in the return series and made that 100 uh, a new lens. Um, so there was such, like even, even that confusion around the team that, that sort of almost selection headache was there around the start of his, of JP Germany's career as well. So it's, it's, he had this phenomenal start, this amazing expectation on him. And it's kind of a mystery that it never really sort of bore fruit into something more consistent because he, he's an incredibly talented, Player. There's no doubting how talented J.P. Durman is and the class of, of of his batting. He was wonderful to watch. And when he's in full flow, he can take just about any attacker part. He made himself into an incredible T20 player, especially for South Africa as well. He had some phenomenal innings for South Africa in the shorter formats of the game. Um, but I think it's a, sort of that mystery as to... Well, what happened in the test matches? Why why wasn't he able to to build a more consistent career? Even though all the talent was there, everything was there for sure.
0: And your your opinion, Fatima? What? what?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with Natalie. It, it, it is a mystery. But um, what I what I will say about Duminy is, like, like Natalie just said, his limited overs career was was fantastic. I think when he was playing, he would have been one of the first names in my playing eleven for the limited overs side of things because he. He batted so fluently in the middle order. He batted so well with the tail in the, in the ODIs and T20s. He's electric in the field. He can, he, how many times did he come onto bowl and get a wicket or get two wickets? He was such an important part, important uh, player in the, in the shorter game. And it, it was very frustrating to see him not be able to go that extra level in the test arena
0: it was very disappointing indeed um, i mean I, I think we we can there are so many cricketers around the world who you know had so much potential but who just weren't able to deliver i mean from a zimbabwean perspective i can think of quite a few and you know obviously we've always mentioned the name graham hick from england who was a devastating county player could score runs against the world's very best when they played county cricket but couldn't well, it wasn't as effective uh, as when it came up to test match cricket, you know. But uh, such a, such as, is is the way of it, I suppose. But um, so th- that was an incredibly good series. I, I'm going to ask the two of you now to to tell me which you think, in your in in your opinions, you would have seen a lot of South African captains. Um, I suppose you would have been a bit young, but certainly in a teenage mold or maybe a bit younger when the likes of, of Hansi, Cronier and Kepler Vessels captained the side, and then along came Sean Pollock, Graham Smith, Faf Plessis. Which captain, I'll start with you, Fatima, did you enjoy the most? Which style of captaincy and, and which one did you appreciate the most?
2: As much as I love Faf, it's got to be Graham Smith. I think he was the such... He was... I don't know how to say this, but he looked captaincy material. He had this, this great aura around him. Like you knew he was going to fight for his team and the fact that he was an opening bad as well. Like he, he was just always there and always fighting and working hard. And the way he spoke, he was very leadership and he just, he just led the side incredibly well and being that first captain to win in Australia in 2008. I mean, the, the way he just brought the, the guys together, brought the team together, and, and just, I mean, 22 years old, captaining England, and captaining in England for the first time, scoring those double tons, it just stamped his authority. I mean, great. And Nasser Hussein getting his name wrong, I'm sure, <laughs> just uh, motivated him even more, just that, I'm going to show this guy who, what my name is. He's going to know my name with that double ton. And it was just he for me is the best captain South Africa have ever had
0: yeah Natalie I want it'll be interesting to hear you know because obviously you would have uh, also been around and kept, well commentated with different captains from a men's perspective uh, which one did you enjoy watching the most in terms of leadership
1: uh, if we're talking men's cricket I yeah. um, uh, Graham Smith definitely stands out for his captaincy and the way he he, he handled things, um, his confidence, uh, obviously his record. Um, the fact that he, he was phenomenal in a chase in test matches as well. it has got one of the best records in the fourth innings of the test matches and the number of hundreds that he scored in, in fourth innings. But but for me, from a men's cricket point of view, Faf Duplessis stands out as the best at player management I, I really enjoy how he handles players how he works with each one of them he seems to know how to talk to each one of them that suits that player and he gets the best out of them. I think he's had a, a tough uh, captaincy for various different reasons from things behind the scenes, things on the field, injuries, all sorts of things, retirements etc. For me, if I see his tactics the, the way he's able to read a situation and say I need a fielder there. It might be the most bizarre fielding position, and you start thinking, "What on earth are you <laughs> doing?" But he makes it work. He's always got a plan. He never lets a game sort of just wane away and 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 sort of like um, drag out. He, he's really on top of things. He's very proactive, and I, I've always enjoyed Fatu for captaincy. If you if we want to talk women's uh, yes, captaincy, absolutely. Danae Efeneke stands out as, as as a captain at the moment. She's she's done a phenomenal job in the last few years. As captain. She was uh, put in the position just before the 2017 World Cup, a very big uh, tournament for South Africa where they made the semifinals very close to beating England. They were excellent in the T20 World Cup this year too. So her captaincy is good. She's also aggressive. She's a captain that's that's all. So on top of the game all the time, and she, she hates losing, and you can see it in the way she captains because she, she's in the game all the time, and she wants to win, and she has a, a real drive for, for winning as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was actually just about to mention that. It's amazing that you should read my mind because I, I felt that when she took over as captain of South Africa, of the ladies' team, that I she brought out – Uh, A bit more like steeliness in them, if if you know what I mean. You know, it it just seems like they really are playing together as as a well-oiled machine, but there's something there's a bit more of a of a punchiness about them. You know, but something like we're not just going to roll over. We are, and i have never suggested that they that they were that way. But there's something different about this team that I feel that Danai Fanikarak has brought out of them.
1: Yeah, Mignon Dupri was obviously captain before and she did a phenomenal job. She was amazing. She was there for such a long time, also from a very young age. And there was a lot of pressure on her to take the team forward because she was also one of their best players as well. So there was a lot of pressure on her. She's also one of the nicest people you will ever meet. (laughs) She is an absolute sweetheart so nice to everybody, always has a smile on her face, and she's just this, she's sort of like this little cuddly person that you just want to take in your arms and just give her a hug. She's just so <laughs> lovely. No, and nice. she, she, she's also, she made the right decision, though, she, to, to step down from the captaincy. It was her decision. She decided, she wanted to focus on her batting, she wanted to give the team more from a batting point of view. And when Danae Fanica came in as captain, her style, I would say, is, is pretty different to Mignon de Pria because she is, she's certainly a lot more aggressive. She's She's a lot more um, sort of in-your-face, if you want to call it that. She's, she shows a lot of emotion as well. And she, she also has had, the, it, has to, it has to be said, the opportunity to work with players who – Um, are, are getting the opportunity to work around the world in domestic leagues. So the quality of players that she is working with is probably higher than what we've had before because they've never had the international exposure and obviously now they're professional. So things have changed within the team as well. There's a lot more depth within that team too.
0: So um, would it be fair to let, let's ask a question if one of the things that that would, I suppose, make you a lot happier in terms of of women's cricket and development and progression is if we could have a women's IPL eventually and a lot more women's test cricket being played, would that be something that would make you very happy?
1: There's, there's three things that, that I want for women's cricket. Right. And the main thing, the first thing, is I'd actually like better domestic leagues around the world. Australia has an incredible domestic league, whether it be the, the one-day format or even the, their T20, their WBBL. And they have over 100 contacts with players. So there's a reason why they're as good as they are. And they just played one of their first matches in the last, I think it's 11 years, without Elise Perry and Meg Lanning And they absolutely smashed New Zealand by 232 runs. So even without two of their best players, they still smashed a team who is a a really good one-day side. So it shows you the depth that Australia has. And the reason they have that depth is the domestic leagues that they have back home. And, yes, you need a women's IPL. That's another thing that would absolutely make me happy. They've got the T20 challenge that they're trying to expand. Um, But if they don't have that core domestic system – that women's IPL is going to be very difficult because you need domestic players to come through. They have to come through the one-day format and they have to come through the clubs. They have to come through all of that to eventually play that professional domestic T20 league. Um, The other things that uh, I would like to see from a point of view is definitely test matches for women. I'd like to see um, the the same format that they have with the women's ashes, where a test match, you have one test match, three T20s, three ODIs. Each one of them counts for points to the overall ashes. It's not just the test match. It all counts towards an overall ashes or overall tournament, basically, in those seven matches and that makes every one of the matches obviously relevant um and the test match will improve a lot of the skills of the of the woman as well especially the youngsters that are coming through so yeah i'd love to see love to see more test matches for women
2: i agree with that as well i, I absolutely agree with the domestic the need for a good domestic structure because i would like not- said you don't that's how you get your players so how do you expect them to understand uh, match situations and pressure situations without being in that in the domestic circuit first i mean that's how players understand the game a bit more and, and, and those emotional sides of things as opposed to just the playing side of it
0: yeah yeah absolutely because that is so so very important as well and and other other ladies also getting involved the 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 women players getting involved with the younger girls as well uh, because we often see uh, from the men's perspective you know the men going out into the various areas and and spending a bit of time with the little boys in in various age groups and helping their game progress do we see you know, the, the captain, Danae Fanikak and Mignon de Pria and all the other players, do they also get involved with projects that, um are suited for girls or girls and boys for that matter as well?
1: Yeah, they absolutely do. They do it quite a bit, actually. And in particular, through, um, through, even through around uh, their touring and around the world, through the ICC tournaments, they've always got the young kids that are coming in. They get involved with the coaching clinics. Um, and, and I think that's quite important to have, for example, if you have an England team out in Australia and the England players are there helping the youngsters in Australia, for example, or in India or Sri Lanka, any other country. Because when, it, when you've got the overseas players, Getting involved within that country, you you develop a nice relationship, obviously, with with the players that are there, with the fans that are there, with the young kids that are coming through, and that's something that those kids will remember probably for the rest of their lives, if they are old enough to remember it, they will be remembering that because it's a very special time to get involved with international cricketers who are, are coming from different parts of the world. And yeah, in South Africa, you always see the ladies are involved in the mini cricket programs that they have, coaching the girls. There's a lot of, um, of, the, of the girls that, that play cricket in the country, whether it be internationally or domestically, that are coaches themselves or physios themselves, and they get involved even more that way and give back to the game.
0: Absolutely wonderful stuff. Very, very good indeed. So, I suppose to conclude, I'll ask you first of all, Fatima Ahmed, the pop increase: five-day Test match cricket or four-day Test match cricket? Which one do you prefer? Which Five one? Five you- days,
2: one hundred percent. There's no a question of four days. It doesn't even exist in my vocabulary for men's cricket. I'm sorry.
0: Lovely. Um, would there be an opportunity and a possibility, Natya, of, of women? You know, could they stand up to the rigors of playing five-day Test cricket?
1: Yeah, absolutely they can. There's no doubts about yeah. that. There's, that's not the issue, really. The, the, the thing about women's cricket is because they get through their overs so quickly, unlike the men, they don't need to even have five-day cricket. The issue with with men's uh, test matches going from five days to four days is the over rate. Yes. You, you, they barely get their overs in now in five days. I don't know how they would get their overs in, in four-day cricket. I know, um, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah, absolutely. Women get through the overs, so it doesn't have to be five days. I think, again, this is there's this this learned thing that test matches have to be five days you get told test matches have to be five days test matches don't have to be five days because if you look back on the stats very very rarely they even go to to five days when you 've already had a result beforehand if there's been no rain so it's it 's not about four or five days it's about over rates are you going to get your overs in time so ...that you can actually get results. You don't want a situation where you're now having more draws. That's not going to be good for the game. So women, if they wanted to play five days, if they needed to play five days, absolutely they can stand up to it. It's not about the length of it. It's that that doesn't actually need to be five days because they get through the overs.
0: So for the, the novice listening to this chat that we're having, and else, uh, wh- why, in your opinion... Are men not able to get through their overs as quickly as women? Is it just a, you know, a a silly, dumb men thing, man sort of a thing that they're just, you know, they're too slow to respond? Is it because they get too involved with sledging and and so on? What is it? What, in your opinion, what could change for men to get through their overs? Or is it just the arrogant complacency that they've had for a hundred and whatever years in playing test cricket?
1: No, I wouldn't say it's that at all. Um, One one technicality is definitely the the run-ups are longer, So you have to take that into account. Men's run-ups are longer than the women's run-ups. You probably have more spinners within a woman's game as well. So those, those things have to be taken into account because over four or five days, that does make a difference, obviously, because of the amount of time it takes to go back to your mark and then run in. Those things make a big difference. But also what makes a difference is TV. Because players, when you have TV broadcasting, the broadcasters need to get their ads in. So that's what pays for your cricket to be on TV. If they don't have the ads, then you're not going to have cricket on TV. They have to have those. So they have to also have the time in between the overs to get that in. And because women's cricket and in particular test matches don't often get on TV, they've never had to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. They've never had to worry about the bigger, bigger grounds as well. They play on a smaller field. So there's quite a few things that add up the time. The men also, though, have to take their own responsibility for it, because every time the ICC changes the regulation in terms of the amount of time required to to actually fulfill your overs, they take more advantage of it. So every time they they, they make their time longer, they take more advantage. And we've seen that happening within the men's game a lot. And that's why they don't want to change that within the women's game with regards to the overrate and the overrate they're expected to bowl at because within the regulations, the women have to bowl more overs in an hour than the men. So it actually is within in, in the ICC laws and the playing conditions. But they don't want to tweak that in the women's game because what happens then if they start taking advantage and we start falling further and further behind, you get to a situation where you are in the men's game where it's just it's fallen behind and it is, it is an issue. It is a problem.
0: And A very frustrating one at that as well. So, are you also are you happy with the fact that we n- may now see a lot more assistance from the third umpire in terms of the calling for no balls?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because hopefully, one hope you're hoping that they don't miss no balls. Obviously, mm. because they can make a massive difference to a game. And also, you want the umpires. Job to be made a little bit easier. The standing umpires have a very, very tough job. That is not a job that, that, that I envy, to be quite honest. I think that would be really tough. So anything you can do to make their job a little bit easier, I'm all for it. Less umpiring mistakes, absolutely all for it. Um, if that technology is available and it's not something that's going to in any way, it's not hurting the game. It's, in my opinion, helping the game. Absolutely. Mm.
0: Fatima, I 100% you've been agree
2: with yeah. that as well. I've been calling. It's something I've been calling for for a number of years. Why They have the technology. It doesn't take a lot of time. Why can't the third empire just adjudicate no balls? And I'm so glad they're doing that now. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a very good thing. So I'll start off with you, Fatima. If we have a chat again in a couple of months' time, is there anything in particular, obviously when, when we have a new this new type of normal, because we will never have the same normality again after COVID has finished with all of us or, or done what it's what, what it's had to do unfortunately but um, there will be a new and a different type of normal I believe so is there anything in particular are there any goals you've set yourself that you'd like to achieve in in what you're doing right now if I were to speak to you in a bit down the line uh,
2: the hope is just to carry on as I'm doing and keep the same um standard that i've set and uh just try and learn new skills and i mean i've I've taken a break with videos since covid so i need to try and try and get that back up and running so um hopefully when uh, hopefully the south african season kicks off next month ish i can start doing videos again but at the moment, I don't have any long time long term goals. I'm just keeping on, keeping on.
0: It's <laughs> lovely, Natalie. What about you? If I had a chat with you in a bit, if we bumped into each other at one of the test venues in South Africa, is there anything new or extra that you would have liked to have achieved?
1: We're talking just uh, cricket commentary and just work from that point of view? Point
0: of view? Yeah, absolutely. Just from uh, doing, getting involved in, the, in, in terms of commentating. And I mean, if there's any other sideline project or whatever that you'd like to uh, ex- expand on, and then, then please feel free to do so.
1: I have a sideline project at the moment. I'm trying to get more flexible in my yoga position. Wow. So i i
0: doing, doing
1: a lot of yoga every single day, and I've got a few pictures that I'm like, that's what I want to look like. I look nothing like that, but that's what I'm going to look like. I'm going to get into that position and be that flexible. That's one of my sideline projects at the moment. Um From 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 a professional point of view and looking for from commentary, obviously just to have cricket back would be great. That that right now is probably priority number one to have commentary back, um, to have an opportunity to to get back in the the chair that I think is is really it's it's a as somebody has told me before, it's a position of privilege. So I would just love to get back into into the commentary chair. Um, A couple of years down the line, we've got the Women's Fifty Over World Cup, which was supposed to be next year, um, but it will be in twenty now. There's the Commonwealth Games in 2022, and South Africa are expected to host the T20 Women's World Cup as well. So uh, I would absolutely love it. To, to be involved in all three of them. Obviously, would be first prize, uh, but that's what I'm sort of working towards. Is, is 2022 is that, that that massive year that that I'm, I'm definitely I'm looking forward to.
0: Natalie German is commentator on both radio and television for SABC and a lot of the ICC events. Fatima Ahmed, also known as The popping crease, and doing some incredible work on social media. Thank you both, ladies, for your time. It's been an absolute joy and pleasure being with you, and uh, I'd like to just wish both of you nothing but the greatest of success, from getting into yoga positions to back in the commentary (laughs) box, to uh, just keep on keeping on. You too have done some wonderful stuff and put lots and lots of smiles on faces. Please continue with the good work, and thank you for your time.
1: Thank, Thank you very you much, too. Dean. Much
0: appreciated. You've been listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. We'll be back again pretty soon with another very good interview next week. But uh, until then, stay safe and goodbye.
2: You've been listening to Dean Stumps,
0: Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.